Welcome to the Ben Don't Break podcast. I'm Aaron Schweitzer, publisher of The Source, and your host today, solo host of the podcast, Nicole is elsewhere. Uh, we are powered by The Source Weekly, Ben's locally owned newspaper. People tune into this podcast to find out how our community is dealing or not dealing with the ever-evolving new normal. And uh, to as a testament to how long the uh, new normal has been working itself, Kate is now a second-time guest on this podcast, which uh, is awesome to see. We're circling back to great people like her in the community. Kate is the executive director of the Deschutes River Conservancy, a local nonprofit with a mission to, I should say, I, I said we wrote Kate in here, but Kate Fitzpatrick, I should put the full name in there, is the executive director of the Deschutes River Conservancy, a local nonprofit with a mission to restore stream flow and water quality in the Deschutes Basin. She has 18 years of experience developing and directing programs to collaboratively restore the basin's rivers. Kate has a passion for water and believes in the power of community to work together to find solutions to potentially divisive natural resource issues. And I think we can put irrigation water and the water generally into that category. Um, and just as a way to introduce you to the uh, our listeners, what Kate, what inspired you to get into this business with business of rivers and um, why is this a passion for you? Yeah, thank you, Aaron. It's great to be back on the show, even though we're still in the new normal. Um, I, I just love water, really. I love rivers. They make me happy. Um, and my education was was geared towards um, collaborative natural resource management. So I'm very interested in how do we how do we solve the problem together as a community. So that's really why I do this work for the river and for the community. Can you explain how um, some of the work that Deschutes River Conservancy does and your role within the pantheon of water rights groups and people who work in this field? You're somewhat unique. Maybe describe that to listeners. Sure. Yeah, we're kind of right in the middle of it all. We were formed by the Confederated Tribes of the Warm Springs, uh, environmental groups and irrigation interests to try to solve these problems proactively. So that's a little bit unique. Our board of directors has almost all the key interests in water sitting there and everything we do has to be by consensus. So we're, we're looking for those win-win solutions to uh, meet our water needs and restore our flows into the future. So we're kind of at the, we're the convener and leader and participant and you know, all the water conversations happening in the basin. Great. Um, for people who might not be familiar with um, how irrigation systems work in Central Oregon and what, maybe just describe what a senior right is versus a junior right and why irrigation districts um, play such a large role in how, um, how our rivers flow, how full they are. Sure, yeah, Erin. Um, our water is managed by the state of Oregon. The public owns the water, but it gives out water rights, which give that person a right to use the water. And the way that the system works, it's called prior appropriations, first in time, first in right. So if you were an irrigation district that got on the scene around 1900, you got a water right with that priority date. So you have very reliable water from the river. The state ended up giving out more water than exists in the river in the hot summer months. And so if you are 
Um, for example, North Unit Irrigation District in Jefferson County got on the scene in 1913. That's actually a junior water rate that is not met most of the time from the river. Um, so because of that, they had worked with the federal government to build storage rights to back that up. And so they're reliant, heavily reliant on Wikiup Reservoir to meet their needs. <clears throat> So what you have, um, oh, and I should say that rivers were not even allowed to be a beneficial use of water till 1987. So we're playing catch up on trying to restore rivers. Um, most of the rivers um, flow at certain points is diverted for irrigated agriculture. So in a nutshell, what you have are senior irrigation districts that enjoy fairly abundant water most years. And then you've got junior irrigation districts that face really severe scarcity in times of drought. And you've got rivers playing catch up alongside them. So in, into that mix right now, we have recent efforts by the irrigation districts to um, the way they see it conserve this water through piping. They're starting to change the way that they operate and manage this water. Um, that has created, uh, some would say opportunities, others would say problems in the way this water is being delivered. What is the Deschutes River Conservancy's kind of position, look at, at piping as um, it becomes more of a topic of general conversation? Yeah, we view piping as a really important tool in the portfolio to restore our flows. We've supported piping projects for the last decade or two. Uh, the reason why is that the irrigation districts, and I guess I should have said this before, that the reason we have districts is they are responsible for delivering water to their thousands of irrigation district patrons. So that's the role that the irrigation districts play, and there's eight of them. And so to deliver water, they divert from the river, let's say downstream of Bend, and then they move that water through 700 miles of open earth canals that were dug into volcanic rock. And that rock really, um, about 50% of the water seeps into the ground. So you need to send twice as much water from the river down that system to get to the farm than the farm actually needs. So if you're able to pipe a canal, you can save that amount of water. And under Oregon water law, you can protect that permanently back in stream. So it's really uh, almost a hidden reservoir to solve water problems in the Deschutes. Um, we also think there's other really important tools we can talk about that should happen alongside piping to really optimize that system. Um, I'll look for you, Aaron, if you're ready to go there. If you have more questions on the piping itself. Well, let's talk. We can come back to piping because it's totally fascinating to me. Um, but. Late in the last year, you guys announced a partnership with the Central Oregon Irrigation District and the North Unit Irrigation District called the Deschutes Water Bank Pilot Program. Um, this is somewhat of a new initiative. It's it's groundbreaking. Um, maybe just start giving a description of how it's going to work and why it's so important to the current structures. Yeah, we're, we're really excited about getting this off the ground this year and excited about the chance to communicate about it. So appreciate that. Uh, basically, the program is designed to help those junior irrigators who are facing severe shortage in the last three years of drought. It's also designed to help restore needed flows to the river. 
And it does that by offering a cash payment to water users within Central Oregon Irrigation District, which is one of the senior irrigation districts. So that irrigation district has a diversity of agriculture, but, but it's got a lot of um, more amenity or lifestyle farming, smaller parcels who have jobs in town and have some you know, grass or pasture. Um, whereas North Indian Irrigation District, there are a lot of, I would say the majority of the farms, um, folks are depending on that water and that farming operation for their livelihood. So what this does is it's a voluntary, temporary and flexible program where if somebody within Central Oregon Irrigation District doesn't want to use their water that year, if they want to help out water problems in the basin for North Unit and the river for farmers, um, they can go ahead and receive that cash payment to forgo use of that water. Just in 2022, that water will be made available to the farmers in North Unit Irrigation District. And in return, there will, there will be increased flow restoration below Wikiup Reservoir in the winter, which is one of the priority restoration reaches in the basin. I think one of the important things for listeners to understand, and correct me if I'm wrong, but this is true across all the irrigation districts, is there is that policy regarding water rights that landowners have where normally if you decided you were not going to use your water right, regardless of how ridiculous, if you were going to, I mean, you can't water rocks, but if you were going to water, you, you have no reason to use your irrigation, you have to water it or you could, they could deem it, uh, they could take it, you know, back in, in light of the fact that you're not using it. So in this way, this program allows those people to still retain their water right in the event of a sale of their property, but yet <clears throat> put that water back in stream because they don't have a truly functional use for it. Yeah, thank you for bringing that up. It's actually a little bit different in the pilot project. So let me back up okay. that Oregon has a use it or lose it clause in the water law. So you have to use your water once out of every five years. And if you don't, it, it could be forfeited. Um, we run also an annual water leasing program with all the districts. And so if you um, don't want to use your water, but you need to retain beneficial use, so that's particularly if you're in your fourth or fifth year of beneficial use, you can lease your water and stream for a small payment, and that will protect your water, right? So the pilot project that we're doing now, um, people participating in the pilot project this year will not receive beneficial use for their water. And the reason is because we're not going through a state process, which is kind of bulky and cumbersome. It's just an agreement between the irrigation districts to forgo the use of water. Um, so if you, it's part of the vetting process for this project. If you go online and fill the form out, it will ask about your water use. And the irrigation districts will, will set aside anybody who hasn't used their water. Um, in the last you know, four or five years and encourage those folks to go through the regular in-stream leasing program. And then everybody okay. else receive a bit of a higher payment to go through this pilot program. Um, it's possible in the future that we could work with the legislature and try to get beneficial use for a project like this, but this year is really just a pilot. Of, of this concept. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, I don't want to get too too ahead of your program here, but uh, do you have a lot? I mean, that's surprising to me. Do you have, a, are there a lot of people out there who are, have a water right and they haven't used it and it hasn't been taken back by the irrigation districts? Yeah, the irrigation districts work pretty, especially Central Oregon Irrigation District has a pretty um, 
strict program where they track beneficial use. So folks mm -hmm. that really need to use their water right are highly encouraged to lease it in stream. So forfeiture does happen and then the district will hold that water, but um, the in-stream leasing program is sort of a win-win. Um, so as long as folks are tracking right. it, that's a pretty good tool. So the farmers in your in your program, do the farmers receiving the water, um, are they paid for that water? Uh, who pays for the senior water rights holders for going their allocations? Yeah, so good question. North Union Irrigation District will pay the uh, fee for that water. And so $100 will go to per acre will go to the water right user. $25 per acre will go to the irrigation district to help administer the program and all the vetting that has to happen and management of it. Um, and North Union Irrigation District will receive the benefit of that water. That's a pretty um, fair price in their view, like willing willingness to pay for the value of that water to them. Sure. Well, and it sounds like you're targeting people who are currently not using it and getting nothing. So it uh, seems like a win-win for all sides. Do um, maybe speak a little bit. You mentioned that this water returns the flows below Wikiup. And I think that's another thing that people don't understand about the Deschutes. You know, we stand on the banks of the Deschutes and we can see it fluctuating a little bit. But I don't know that people understand that different sections behave differently. Some of them crab, basically crash. Some of them come up, they're full. Can you talk to that a little bit so people understand their river a little more? Yes, absolutely, because it's a hard problem to see if you're standing standing downtown. It looks great most of the year. So what happens is that I mentioned that Wikiup Reservoir that was built, and that's about 70 miles upstream of Bend. Um, that was built in the in the early 1950s, and the job of that reservoir is to store water for North North Unit Irrigation District. So in order to do that, historically cranked down the river, um, like to historically about two percent of the natural flow. Now it's about 10 percent of the natural flow, and you see really low flows in that river system, which is bad for fish and wildlife habitat, bad for the Oregon spotted frog, bad for the river. Um, but nobody's, you know, few people are up hanging out around Wikiup Reservoir in the wintertime in the snow. So it's not a problem that's so visible. Um, and then as you get closer to bends, you have tributary flows coming in that make it look better. So when you, in the summertime, flip that and that entire stretch of the Deschutes until you get to about the river house, just in downtown Bend and the south end of Bend, uh, north end of Bend, sorry. Um, that river is really used as a um, irrigation canal to deliver water to the irrigation districts. And so you've got probably twice as much water as you would have had downtown through Bend. And then about 80% of that still gets diverted at the river house um, into various irrigation canal systems. And so the issue in the summertime is below bends, which again, not many people are down in that canyon experiencing those low flows. Um, so to, to get to the point of this project, um, that upper Deschutes in the winter problem has been the hardest problem to solve, precisely because the North Unit Irrigation District farmers rely on that water. So there's a hesitancy to right. let any more water go. Um, now we're in a position where the irrigation districts have signed uh, what's called a habitat conservation plan that gives them some protection under the Endangered Species Act if they do certain conservation measures. So now for the first time, they have set targets to increase those flows in the winter over the next 30 years. 
So it's in their direct interest to do programs and projects which help move them towards that goal. Um, so again, North Indian Irrigation District will receive 100% of the water that's made available through the water bank in the summertime. And that's more reliable water than they would have normally. So that's a net benefit. And then they'll go ahead in the wintertime and release a portion of that water as in-stream flow to help the river and to help meet their obligations under the Habitat Conservation Plan. I mean, it's fair to say that the main meat of the discussion around water allocation and what's what's right for irrigators versus what's right for the natural environment stems on what irrigators say is the right amount of flow within the river. I mean, people are always, I mean, I think it's fair to say that, you know, it's environmental groups desire to ever increase that flow of water into the river. Um, I wouldn't say it's necessarily always got to be controversial against the wishes of the irrigation districts, but that's the heart of the struggle. And really that amount that the irrigators are saying that they're putting in the river, that's where the conversation is at right now. What's enough? And and how do you view that? Or how do you view your role in trying to like make heads or tails of, it's an arbitrary number. We don't, you know, there is nobody who said this is the amount. It's just a collective agreement, is it not? Not necessarily. Am I putting that correctly? So. Well, yeah. you're correct in that there's always controversy or discussion around what, which is the right number. Um, ultimately, right. we're trying to restore as much of the natural hydrograph as we can, given balancing uses in the basin. Now, in the current agreements, um, it's based on information supplied by the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service on what the Oregon spotted frog needs, because the agreement is designed to protect the Oregon spotted frog populations. Their most robust and last critical habitat is up in that watershed. So there's a lot of information um, on what frogs need and what, what the river needs to reconnect wetlands and floodplains that goes into that negotiation around the plan. And the Fish and Wildlife Service probably would not have signed that plan if they didn't think it was going to blink out the frog. So um, it's also, there's also um, information on kind of minimum needs for red band trout fish habitat up there as well that contribute to the goals. And so um, what's in the habitat conservation plan? You know, it's really nice to have the irrigators agree to those goals. There are some that think um, eventually we'll have to go beyond that. But at this point, we're so far from that point that I would rather not argue about the endpoint and just really start. <laughs> right, cool. start. Um, so, g getting up a little more at thirty thousand feet, one of the questions that I have, and um, again, it's not entirely science based, so I'm turning to you for answers here, is um, you know, with global warming and the, you know, we see drought after drought after drought year. Um, it's it's hard to understand what is and isn't a drought year anymore because it seems like every spring after we get these Januaries like we've had and um, we see what the actual snowpack decrease has meant, um, there's just less water, you know, and then uh, certainly last year we saw some real big uh, problems in terms of delivering to irrigators, even minimal amounts of uh, water that they would consider necessary to grow 
crops for their for their uh, animals and and this would be real farms not not necessarily the hobby farms although they're certainly affected um, but what I'm wondering is you know the allocation of water occurred in 1900 we know that those irrigation rights the junior rights the senior rights they were all based on a 1900 assessment of how much water we were going to get I don't think anybody's arguing that we're going to see a return to those kind of uh, water numbers again. What is the future for these discussions? I mean, certainly your <clears throat> efforts to get more in-stream water, but it, it seems like that has to start coming up as a topic of conversation. What do these rights mean anymore? And how do you achieve these allocations? So many questions in there, gosh. Where to go? <laughs> right. right. Solve, solve global warming for us, Kate. Yeah, and then we'll go a little bit to the system of water allocation and whether it's still relevant and what to do about that. Um, yeah. That's a lot. <laughs> so climate, yeah, no, you're right. This is gonna be more the new normal. And I, I do think we'll have some fluctuations, but the trend is gonna be less water. Um, and even if we have, as much water, it will be more in the form of rain and snow, which has impacts as well. Um, I will say that we, the Deschutes does still seem lucky compared to other basins. Um, in this last drought year, for example, if we had enough conservation and market-based programs in place, I bet we could have been okay. So I think it's really um, about taking those climate cues as a reason to accelerate the work that we're doing. And to be frank with you, I don't think we'd have a water bank pilot in place if we hadn't had that third year of extreme drought that really got people paying attention. So the, the silver lining of drought, That's great. we need to really change. Um, in addition, everything that we're already doing with partners creates resiliency for climate change conditions. And so um, I'm not gonna say that we're gonna be we're going to be great in the future every year, but I think we have a lot of room to work still to make sure that um, I don't think everyone can continue diverting everything they're diverting now, but I I feel pretty confident we can support rivers and support productive agriculture with enough conservation and marketing programs in place. Um, now, that's not a guarantee, and, and your point about, I think, prior appropriation and the water rights system that exists that was built in 19, you know, 1900s, 1905. Um, yeah, we're trying to solve 21st century problems with a, with an ancient water rights system. And frankly, it is too rigid and cumbersome and it's, you know, values are changing and that, that system isn't changing. Um, it would be, it's always been the sacred cow, like don't touch the water, don't touch the prior appropriation system. And the legislature has never had much of an appetite for that. I think you're going to see more conversations than ever at the state level. And I think the most fruitful places they're going to happen is on a regional basis. I think the state's realizing that every region has different needs. Um, and the water rights system doesn't, like in the Deschutes, this system doesn't work for farmers or rivers. I think we're one of the most unique places where that's really evident. Um, I think the state's open to this community saying, here's within a state framework, how we think we could use more flexibility to manage it. And I think you'll start seeing that at the policy level. So I, I do think that there's gonna have to be some, at least changes around the fringes, if not, you know, significant pivots in Oregon water law, um, but just flipping it on its head statewide, you know, then who gets to decide? Who gets water? Who's making the value judgments? So sure. I think we're really looking at the communities 
um, to do that. And we're working with our community right now. We have a Deschutes Space and Water Collaborative that has yeah, 45 members um, that we are really trying to figure out a plan where the state can say, yes, take your plan that meets as many needs as possible that has broad support and have a little more flexibility with the water law system. Kate, we are at the end of our time. Another uh, great podcast. Thank you very much uh, for coming on. Anything you want to say that I missed? I mean, water is one of those topics that we could go well into the night, but uh, um, you know, anything that I missed regarding your pilot program you'd like to speak to? Yeah, just a plug that if you have water rights in COID or if you have neighbors and friends who have water rights, um, go to our website. It's deschuteswaterbank.org. All you have to do is fill out a super quick online form and it doesn't commit you to participate, but it opens the door to those conversations. We have over 100 uh, water rights patrons already who have filled out that form. So we're pretty excited about it. Um, you know, spread the word. That's all I would say. This is this is a win-win-win for the community in the river, and um, we'll look forward to reporting on how it goes. Yeah, I'm super interested in how um, these pressures and these changing times are creating these opportunities. So it's interesting to see that it's not, you know, it's not all gloom and doom and protest marches, and it's great work that you're doing. Thanks, Aaron. Appreciate the opportunity to be on. <clears throat> okay. Thanks, Kate. Bye. Bye.